That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show Is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnekin. <laughs> Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Show is All About You, where for the next hour, we're just going to hopefully dig into things that uh, all of us can relate to on some level through taking a look at the news in the world, hearing a story, finding out where I'm at in my journey, and uh, see how that uh, reflects yours in whatever ways or what wherever there might be differences. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend uh, with me as we move forward. And uh, if you miss any of this episode, for whatever reason, or you'd like to catch up on other episodes, you can get this as a podcast wherever you get your podcast. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for leaving me a review. I really appreciate that. You can also find out more about me and reach out to me at my website, which is wordsbyjdk.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Look up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N. You'll find me pretty easily. Would love to hear from you, chat with you, find out what you think of the show, maybe give me some ideas for topics or stories you'd like to hear me go through or whatever else is on your mind. So look forward to hearing from you. Thanks also to this show's generous sponsor, Airway Science for Kids, which is a nonprofit down in the Portland, Oregon area that provides life and career pathway opportunities to underserved youth through the exploration of aerospace careers. And they do it not just in the technical sense, but also in the holistic sense of helping kids learn more about themselves, better learn to advocate for themselves, and uh, be more positive uh, parts of, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Interact more positively in their family, in their community, and pretty much with the world at large. If you'd like to find out more about the work that they do down there at Airway Science for Kids, uh, check out airsci.org. Okay, uh, I'm laughing at myself this morning for a lot of reasons, uh, which I will get into. Uh, one of the reasons, though, is I'm really excited because it only occurred to me when I, not long after I woke up this morning, that this is the 100th episode of this show. That is, <laughs> there it is. Thank you, Eric. Ooh. Oh, pour the bubbly. Oh my gosh, it is an extravaganza. Look at that. <laughs> it's a party. Thanks, Eric. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, it really is amazing. And it's it's been a, quite the journey uh, and it's been so much fun for me to do this. And when I made that realization this morning, it shelved where I was going to go today. Uh, and so I called an audible on myself to use the sports uh, parlance. And we're going to go a little bit of a different direction today on the other side of where we always start on this show, which is taking a look at what I've seen as maybe the most important pieces of the news going on. And we will start with that before we move into a story that I have to tell, finding out where I'm at. And that means we start with what in the world is going on. Ukraine appears to be a step closer to getting the German-made Leopard 2 tanks. Germany says it will not stand in the way if Poland wants to send its Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine. 
This comes amid Ukraine preparing for an expected new Russian offensive. Germany says it is ready to authorize Poland to send German-made Leopard tanks to Ukraine to help Kiev fight the Russian invasion. Generally speaking, there are three important factors going on in how the conduct of this war between Russia and Ukraine are going to go. First, obviously, is how well the Ukrainians continue to fight on the ground. Second is, how do the Russians respond to this and what happens internally? And third is, how unified does the West stay, NATO and other associated countries stay, uh, in terms of helping the Ukrainians fight this fight? And last week, there was a bit of a deep breath taken uh, when uh, Germany, in particular, seemed to be very reluctant to send their very highly sophisticated and yet very easy to use Leopard 2 tanks to the Ukrainian army to uh, help bring them up to speed uh, to prepare defenses against what is expected to be a big Russian push come spring. The Leopard 2 is ideally suited for the terrain uh, and for the combat situation and uh, combat logistics of what's going on in Ukraine, much more so, according to the Americans, than the M1 Abrams tank, which is the United States' top-of-the-line tank. The British have offered their Challenger 2 tank, and while all this might seem more in the purview of people who are interested in uh, battlefield warfare and that type of history, it really is important from a diplomatic point of view and from a, a, a strategic cohesion point of view because the West must work together on all fronts in order to be that backstop, if you will, that support that Ukraine needs to continue to effectively fight. And that means a lot more weapons and a lot more unity in the face of, of the economic pressure that Russia is putting on Europe uh, and the political pressures that are coming from the United States and elsewhere. As of this morning, the fact that the Germans are more okay now with countries that use the Leopard 2, in particular Poland, right next door to Ukraine, indicates that the Allies are finding some common ground on how to get the Ukrainians these weapons because they must always be thinking about where is the line that... Vladimir Putin has set for expanding this conflict. The fact is, we don't know. Nobody really knows where that is except for Vladimir Putin, and that may change on a daily basis. So the West has to be very careful how much they push, how quickly, and how they do it. So while it might seem frustrating on one, on one side that things seem to be moving slowly, the general consensus among NATO allies is this is the best way to do it, and this is yet another example of them finding some solutions and keeping a common front uh, against Russia by supporting Ukraine. In the end, I think it's going to be very good news and it's going to be very good for the Ukrainian army come spring. All right. And the second piece I want to look at today is a different subject than usual. It does not mean what's going on in Iran, which I often talk about, isn't still important. It is. But something happened in China last week that made my jaw drop. China's population has declined for the first time in more than 60 years. According to numbers released Tuesday by China's National Bureau of Statistics, the population in 2022 was just over 1.4 billion, a drop of 850,000 from a year prior. The last time the country's population fell was in 1961 after three years of famine in the Mao era. Experts warn China is facing a shrinking workforce that will struggle to support a rapidly aging population. The reason why this is jaw-dropping is because this really could fundamentally alter how China literally does business with the rest of the world, how its political situation will continue to grow or deteriorate, and could ripple out to major decisions like, are they ever going to attack Taiwan and perhaps cause a war in East Asia or something larger than that? All of which have been on the horizon of late, if anyone has been paying attention. 
to what's going on in China. So the fact that these, A, that these numbers came out, the two, that the Chinese admitted this publicly, this is the same Chinese government that will not disclose their COVID death figures uh, over the past three years. The fact that all this is out there indicates that there's an awareness in China that this is a very, very big deal. Later this year, China will be surpassed by India as the most populous nation on earth. This comes back to, in part, China holding a decades-long one-child policy officially in the country where every family was only allowed to have one child because there was concern about overpopulation. And because their economy is based so strongly internally and externally on consumer goods, the fact that that is shrinking in terms of people in their own country affects the growth of their economy. And because the, the population is aging, that means more and more people in China are moving out of the workforce domestically in China. And China does not really do well at exporting any of its manufacturing overseas, like the United States and other countries do. You combine all those things together and you have what could be the beginning of a series of challenges, uh, if not outright crises, for the Chinese government and for China in general. This comes at a really interesting time when China is trying to walk a very, very fine line between not abandoning Russia for its war in Ukraine, continuing to support them, and not getting too close or too far away from trade relationships uh, with the United States, the world's largest, continues to be the world's largest economy. This is worth keeping an eye on because the ripple effects of this could be really significant. It's worth keeping that in mind as we move forward. Okay. So I only had two of those pieces today because uh, when I realized that this was the 100th episode, it seemed like I needed to do something besides just mention that uh, in passing. And uh, so I thought today what I would do uh, is kind of take us all a little bit, a little bit back in time. Those of you who have been with this show from the very beginning, from episode one, uh, first of all, <laughs> Thanks for sticking around to so many of them. And you've seen so many iterations of the show. The show started out as a, as a half hour show uh, when it when it first came on 100 episodes ago. And uh, about a year ago, moved to a one hour format, which uh, I've really enjoyed and a lot of people have enjoyed as well. And so it's been really an exciting journey uh, in all of that. What I wanted to talk about, though, today, I think, is kind of what this has actually done for me and maybe to give everybody listening a sense of what <laughs> the sausage making looks like, I suppose, uh, and why I'm actually doing what I'm doing. And there have been times, uh, I have to admit, where I've wondered in the process of the show, why am I doing what I'm doing? Uh, I certainly, the constant has been since day one that I've enjoyed doing this show. Uh, there is nothing I look forward to more in the course of the week than coming into the studio um, here in uh, the Puget Sound area in Seattle and doing this show and checking in with Eric when I walk into the studio and, you know, we talk about whatever might be Marvel or Star Wars or what's, whatever's been going on and uh, really going through the process of being here and kind of seeing how things shake out. However, uh, sometimes I think it sounds like it's maybe a lot easier to do than it is. One of the things that I know about myself historically is I can overthink and I can overprepare. And doing this show has been a lesson in doing the exact opposite. There's certainly something to be said for preparing what I want to talk about. And, you know, and I have a, 
I have a, a general script and general process that I follow every week, but I do try to keep it pretty loose and pretty open. Um, so I'm always looking for a balance between structure and flow, if that makes sense. Uh, but in terms of what that, what that preparation looks like, I, uh, I don't always know. Uh, and sometimes some topics take me a little bit longer to put together or to conceptualize or to decide upon than others. And the reason I'm telling you all this is because this entire process is a work in progress. Much like me, <laughs> this entire show is a work in progress. The fact that it's made it to 100 <laughs> episodes is, um, is really exciting, in part because it's something that I've liked and enjoyed enough to stick with. It's something that the show sponsors, Airway Science for Kids, and of course the, the Hubbard Radio Seattle that, that produces it, have believed in enough to continue to support. All that is very gratifying. And yet it's also more of a challenge, I think, than um, I often talk about. And that's what I'd like to get into today because this is something that still grows. I do it every week because I believe it's important. It's important for me. It's important for the people that are listening. Um, and I want to believe it can have an importance beyond that as hopefully the show continues to grow, the audience continues to build and it happens to interconnect with all the other things that I'm doing. Uh, so that's where I really want to go because there are people out there listening who don't know this story. And certainly when you have 100 episodes, it can be hard to go back through on an episode list and try and find the one that might give you the backstory <laughs> as, to, as to who I am and how I got here. And so I do like to revisit it uh, every once in a while. So, all right. So... Let's start there. So the story today is going to be about how I got here to this. And that's what we're going to take a look at. And it's a story about me not just trying new things, but really putting old things away and old ways of living, old ways of looking at my life, old ways of looking at my present and my future. Uh, doing this show has been a major vehicle for all of those things. And sometimes it's been a testing ground uh, and a barometer for how I'm doing with all of those things. And, and I can go back and forth with all of it. This was, even though everybody who knows me says, oh, you, you speak so well and so seemingly so easily and, and you can do all this so naturally, uh, it isn't nearly as easy to speak like this as people think. Not because of the technical side of speaking, even though that, that is a thing. But because every time I sit down behind this desk and I put this mic in front of me and I see Eric in my peripheral vision doing all the recording and, uh, and I have my coffee here with me, I am not only putting out my words for other people to hear in real time or, or shortly after, but it is out there. It exists. And when you put together 100 episodes of something, there's a track record. <laughs> There's a story that that makes. It's one of the real powerful things about doing podcasting is that you can do that and you can put out your thoughts and ideas uh, and influence, if you will, out there in time. But then you, you do put it out there and it stands the test of time. And no matter whether that was episode one or 100, every single time I speak behind this mic, I am responsible for what I say. <laughs> I need to be able to explain <laughs> what I say in case some people uh, don't, didn't really understand where I was coming from. And I need to be open with the feedback that I get 
from that, whether that's coming from producers, whether that's coming from sponsors, whether that's coming from listeners, whether that's coming from trolls <laughs> online, and I've had some of that as well. It's something that I have to be aware is going to happen. And that isn't always very comfortable for me. Historically for me, I can be, vulnerability has been difficult in my life. The past handful of years, I've learned to be much better or much more consistent with being vulnerable with the people that matter the most to me. Stepping out, though, and doing this publicly does take that kind of vulnerability with my ideas, with the stories that I share, uh, when I have guests on with their stories and what they're sharing. And there have been times where that has felt really, really heavy and scary and frightening, um, where I've wondered when I'm coming into a, a, a an episode, do I really want to talk about this or wondering when it's over, how will people react? Those things matter to me. And sometimes I wish they didn't, what people, what people think um, and how it's going to land. I think of that more often than I wish I did. That said, I do think about it and care about it less now than I did when I was in episode one. And there's a, there's a larger story in there that I think is worth delving into. So when we come back from our first break, let's, uh, let's go back in time a little and I'll bring you up to speed on how I got here and hopefully what it means now and where we're going with it. All right, we'll be right back on This Show is All About You. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids. Providing aerospace for all. Welcome back to this show is all about you, which today this show is all about me. <laughs> it's my 100th episode and I'm excited about that. And so uh, in the spirit of that as a celebration as well as just a chance to kind of come back full circle uh, and reflect. Today's story is about how I got here and how all this uh, came together and and it's something that even if you don't do podcasting, have no intention of ever doing it, I hope there's something that maybe in the process, the mentality, the, the, the sense of urgency, uh, the emotion behind it, that maybe you can relate to as maybe you're considering taking some new avenues or you're trying to find another one or wondering if you should. Hopefully it'll resonate in some way. But uh, what's interesting about how this show started was it all got started when I wrote a book. <laughs> which, and when I wrote this book, I had absolutely no thoughts about ever doing any kind of podcasting to go alongside it or be attached to it. Uh, about seven years ago, almost exactly seven years ago, actually, I finally sat down and began writing an alternate history fiction novel 
uh, the idea for which I had had for a number of years going all the way back into my time in graduate school to get my PhD in history. And I had a whole life that was, you know, studying history, uh, being a history professor, that type of thing. And um, I had moved away from that for a lot of really important personal reasons. And I decided somewhere along the line there that I really, if I really had wanted to write this book, I really should go back and do it. Take all my training and historical knowledge and my interest in that and uh, the storytelling uh, interest that I also had, put it all together and write what might be a very believable alternate history story that was fiction but felt real. I love things like that. So like books like Man in the High Castle or Robert Harris's Fatherland, which take place um, in worlds where a different a historical event went differently than it actually happened in history and what does it happen in that world. Mine was called Crella's Inferno and the history event that I changed was the D-Day invasion of June 6, 1944, which was in actual history uh, an allied victory. The United States, Britain, and other free nations landed in France and began the Western push against Nazi Germany to end the war, and the Soviets pushed in from the East. In my story, the Germans blunt that invasion, and the Allies don't land troops uh, in France. And uh, I played this out talking with some of my historian friends, but also just kind of in the world building process that I really got into that uh, Nazi Germany still loses the war and the Soviet Union does a lot of the heavy lifting. And instead of dividing Germany right down the middle with the Americans and the British, as actually happened in history, the Soviets conquer all of Germany and all of Western Europe to win the war. And my book takes place in that world, 1946. And, uh, I wanted to write a book that was about not just that world, but also about how uh, human beings recover from the trauma of war, how they start to reconnect with themselves, most importantly, with other people, perhaps people who were once their enemies, and how they adapt to new worlds that are growing around them that nobody can fully understand, that were unprecedented, coming out of trauma, and uh, what are the challenges involved. What I didn't really know when I first started it and figured it out fairly late in the game as I went, is a lot of ways the writing of that reflected what I was going through myself. I was going through a new world. I was My world was changing around me. I had left academia. I was seeking new avenues that would be more fulfilling for me and more uh, connected to who I really was, not just in my mind, but also in my spirit, uh, in my emotional state. And uh, I think I was working out, in retrospect, working out a lot of those things for me, how to come to terms with all of that through the process of writing this novel, which happens exclusively from the point of view of its main character, Garen Crella, hence the name Crella's Inferno. And it's a process like Dante's Inferno, the main character traveling through a lot of hardship to come out the other side with wisdom, peace, and hopefully resolution around important things in his life. And so I wrote this and it took me about oh, a little over three years uh, to write the book. And as I've told many people, and I've said on the show before, I've never had more fun in my life than I did writing that book. It was certainly work, but not in the sense of like having to go to work every day. It never felt like drudgery. It Even when, you know, my fingers were on the keyboard, but nothing was coming out of them of any value, it wasn't frustrating to me. For whatever reason, it was such a natural process that I felt that no matter whether I was writing six pages a day or six words, I was in the right spot taking in the right input and getting the right amount of work done for that day. It was the smoothest, the most integrated uh, process I've ever been a part of. And I just had a whole lot of fun. And I had several people helping me 
along the way, being being readers and, and creative consultants um, and giving feedback. And that was all very, very helpful. And I wrote it long so that I could just get all my ideas out on paper. And about, hmm, like I said, probably about three years after that, a main draft was finished. And it was a massive draft, 300,000 words. <laughs> That's way too big <laughs> for, for a first novel of any kind. Uh, and so there was a process that went on uh, over the next year of really kind of reducing that down to something that's a little more manageable. Um, it's still not quite probably where I need it to be uh, lengthwise uh, for you know, consideration fully, but I'm still kind of battling that, but going back and forth on that. Anyway, you might be wondering how this fits in with uh, a podcast. Trust me, I'm getting there. So imagine three years of doing this, so all my spare time, uh, sometimes even taking the time, not not going out somewhere, putting off a movie, uh, you know, maybe maybe leaving early from a family event to write. Sometimes I'd write for an hour. Other times I'd sit down and say, I'm going to write for an hour and I'd write for six. Other times I took retreats for weekends and went away for days at a time and did all this. Uh, it was written in a number of different states, a couple of different countries um, saw me writing there. All of that taken together and suddenly it's done. And literally when it was done, I remember saying to myself and several people, well, now what? <laughs> I'm not sure what to do. Uh, and so I had to move into a whole new realm. And that was, how do I get a book published? I knew I didn't really want to self-publish the book. I'm, that's not something I really necessarily want to do. My dream has always been to have it published by a company that can distribute it, put it out there, help me advertise it, that type of thing. So that's been the dream, even though that is a difficult thing to do. And so I began to find out how should I do that? How do I get, how do I build that up? Well, there was a lot of advice out there, some of it good, some of it not so good. And so I had to do a lot of navigating and find people and develop relationships with them that I could trust, you know, that they were giving me good information. And it boiled down effectively to uh, new authors of any kind, whether they're published already or looking to get published, need to build an audience. It's important for publishers to be able to see that the writer is not just somebody who is writing the book, but can also be engaging about the book, can build audiences in other ways, uh, can draw them in on social media, through a website, and, and ideally through a podcast. So now you see, hopefully, where this is going. <laughs> At the beginning of every show, I tell you where my, <laughs> where my website is, wordsbyjdk.com. I also tell you where you can find me on social media, and there's that. And... There's the podcast. These were the things that were recommended uh, to me by a number of different avenues, uh, not just from people who'd done it before, but also people who were in the industry to do these things. And I thought, okay, website, whew, that could be a challenge. I'm not sure how to do that. Uh, podcast, yeah, I, I certainly could sit down and talk. Uh, you know, I've been doing that my whole life, whether people like it or not, but I can certainly do it. But how do I do it? And, you know, I was you know, working, these things cost money, right? And, you know, finding someone to develop a really good website or to develop a really good podcast is an investment. And it was something I knew very little about. And so my learning curve was going to be extensive. And so the time it was going to take for me to learn on my own or learn, you know, paying other people to help me do it was going to take time and resources. And so I had a very, very <laughs> up and down relationship uh, with myself uh, and with other people trying to make all of that happen. But it was something that I really wanted to do. And uh, where it first started, before this show ever came, I, I decided through some consults with people that I really probably needed to do 
a podcast that kind of gave my background to people as uh, a person, as a new writer trying to, you know, pitch a book, and, uh, and someone really trying to grow in his life. Uh, the idea was there were probably a lot of people going through big changes and transitions and questions and challenges that maybe would be able to relate to that. Even if they'd never written a book or never intended to, they might be able to relate to that piece. So how about we do a podcast about that? And that's when uh, Dave Nelson and Stacey Harris of Lens Group Media uh, came into my life with the help of Stacey Heller, who has her own shows uh, that uh, are done here at Hubbard Radio. And uh, through the conversation, we put together a podcast, a 12-episode podcast called Building from the Bullet Hole. And it's available on my website, wordsbyjdk.com. Um, I've referred to it now as my origin story of you know what happened with me, how I ended up here, uh, where all the major changes in my life came from, what I've learned from them, and why I'm doing what I'm doing, not just what I'm doing. And that was uh, one of the more amazing experiences of my life, not just because I got to learn a whole new medium and media of how to put you know, information out there and to tell stories and that type of thing. It was fascinating. I didn't do a lot of podcast listening prior to doing that. But it also was such a challenge to figure out how do I tell this story in a way that is genuine, authentic, truthful, also puts me forward as a human being, but also as a brand, right? That, that matters out there. And how do I effectively put building blocks in place to keep building and moving this forward? And there were a lot of fits and starts to that. Uh, the final product, Building from the Bullet Hole, I'm, I'm immensely proud of. Every once in a while, I go back and listen to some episodes and I, I go, yeah, I still agree with me <laughs> there. And there's also been growth since then. Now, the interesting thing about that is that uh, we recorded a lot of that beginning in 2019. And its release came literally before about three weeks before the entire world shut down for COVID. And when that happened, uh, suddenly now a lot of people were listening to more podcasts than ever before because people were indoors and more people started doing podcasts than ever before, independent and otherwise, because they were indoors and they bought recording equipment and put out podcasts about this is terrible or what are we going to do or let's come up with something new. And of course, in that process over the next three years, the great resignation where everybody, a lot of people questioned where they were coming from, what they were doing. They stepped away from careers or goals or, you know, and started reinventing themselves or alternatively and or uh, cratering a bit in their life as, as the basic fundamental things that we often take for granted were challenged in that process. In the midst of that, fortunately for me, I was able to keep moving forward with this. First with building from the bullet hole and then as time went by, looking for a way to really make this standard and to, to come up with a weekly show Eventually, that brought me again via Stacy Heller and through the support of Airway Science for Kids to This Show is All About You. And the process of that is not necessarily the interesting part <laughs> of all this, uh, but I knew that I wanted to, having done an origin story, I wanted to start doing a podcast that was about things happening in the world in the moment in which I recorded them and maybe talking about some elements of history, talking about my book, that type of thing. And so with the support of Hubbard Radio here in Seattle, I started that as a half-hour show. And I want to say for probably the first 30 episodes, I felt like I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't have good timing. Um, I kept going over my, my time allotments, uh, you know, and 
I remember seeing on a number of occasions Eric scrambling behind the behind the the table to tell me I only had two minutes left or one minute left, and I'm in the middle of a thought. It there was it took a while for the cadence for all of this to to come together and and the patterns for this to come together. In addition, coming up with material every week uh, was was challenging, uh, and I certainly could you know pull from my history knowledge and from stories that I've read and what I was going through, but I had a really hard time pulling all of that together, or at least to the degree that I thought I needed to be doing in order for the show to be successful. And I was also very challenged by the idea that I couldn't answer to myself, what did, what did this show look like as a successful show? How was I going to measure that? Was it going to be solely by the people listening, by its growth, by the reactions of my producers or whatever? And it took a long time for me to get to the point that, and this happened after it became an hour show, where I went, you know what? What matters first and foremost on whether it's successful is how well is it conveying what I want to be talking about that day and the values that I hold dear and that I'm finding more and more the people who listen to my show also find dear. The core ones of those are every human being has an inherent dignity uh, and right to their own integrity, the right to live their lives and to live their lives safely and freely um, with everything that comes with that. And I know that doesn't happen for a lot of people, but nevertheless, that's the ideal. Uh, I also stand for increased historical awareness about what is happening in today and where we come from and what it all means and what history can teach us. And more and more as time has gone by, I've stood more and more for being in this moment, that this moment is really all we have, as important as the past is, Really what we have right now is what matters. And if we are not connected to this moment, we are either lost in the past or worrying about the future and we are making our own lives and by extension, those uh, lives that are around us more difficult and stressful than they need to be. In that process of learning that, I, uh, again, through the help of Hubbard Radio and Stacy Heller and others, uh, connected with Tawny Santabria and we started our own podcast, Breaking Up With Our B.S., which uh, new episodes of that come out every single Saturday. And she and I talk about all those BS stories that happen when we aren't present. And so as that began to develop uh, and this show continued to develop more, as more time went by the, the themes of those two podcasts and the writing I was putting on words by JDK.com essay stories, that type of thing, all started coming together around those values effectively building what I'd been hoping to build when I, when my book had been finished. But the process of that, of course, has been discovering exactly who I am. I can't put forward all of these things out there in a coherent manner if I don't have any coherence myself in terms of who I am, where I'm at, what I'm feeling, you know, what's going on with that. And so in the midst, the final piece in all of that was about a year ago now, I was sitting with Tawny uh, we're getting ready to record, and I had recorded an episode of this show earlier in the week. And uh, the idea came up that I should maybe pursue a certification in human potential coaching, a form of life coaching that was central to um, uh, what Tawny does. She is a coach, um, a human potential coach. And it was really at the core of a lot of the work I had done with her, as first as one of her clients, and then as because was continuing to do as a broadcast partner with her. And so I, I did. And, uh, and I had a lot of support to make that happen. It just kind of all fell together. Everything I needed to make that happen came together in literally less than a day. And 
right now, and I'll talk about this later in the next segment, right now I'm waiting to hear on my certification. Everything's done. Everything's submitted, <laughs> and I'm waiting to hear on that. But that's going to be opening a lot of other different avenues as well. And that was maybe the one program I've done, certainly since my PhD program, where I felt the most connected to myself and this sense of, yes, I am in the right place doing the right thing. And it has informed so much of my life and the process, including doing this podcast and what it's about. And hence why a couple of weeks ago, when I shifted the format a little bit to talk about the news at the front end, a story of some sort in the middle and an update on where I am at the end, it came from the convergence of all these things together. And when I reflect on it here in the hundredth episode, uh, I can see all the threads and how far back they went. Once upon a time when all those threads were disparate and really far apart, I could not see where they were all going. And steadily they have come together more and more and more and are moving me closer and closer to um, where I want to be going. I don't think so much of the outcome anymore, the final piece being getting a book published. I'm enjoying every single one of these pieces for what they are, which has been an amazing gift. Once upon a time, I was doing all this because I was hyper-focused on the book. This process has broadened my world in that sense. You know, the book still matters. I still want to publish. I still want to write more. I have more stories to tell. And doing this podcast, Breaking Up With Our BS, all these other ones are also other avenues for storytelling. My website as well. That's really been the amazing part of this journey is it has opened up and expanded my world and expanded my sense of self and made it more coherent, consistent, um, and to me, more rewarding than anything else I've ever done at any other point that I've ever been in. So that's how I got here. Now, connected to that, though, we have one more segment here coming up right after this break. Um, I'm going to tell you what that brings up for me. Uh, in terms of where I am right now. And that's how we'll finish off this 100th episode of this show is all about you. For So come on back here in just a minute and uh, go into the end with me. Thanks. Don't ask me to talk. Don't Ask Me to Talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacey Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder, Don't Ask Me to Talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 KIXI. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you entering the final stretch for today's episode, the 100th in the history of this show. And I've been talking a little bit uh, before the break of where, how this all came together, the sort of the, the history, I guess, of this podcast. And I want to wrap it up uh, with, you know, some things that um, I'm reflecting on now about that. So in, the, in today's Where Am I At, um, I'm in a place where there's some things that I think are important to share about this process. And perhaps the most important one is this entire process of the book, the website, the podcast, the certification that I'm still waiting on. All of this has underscored to me how important it is for me to not just be a human being who is imperfect, makes mistakes, goes in ebbs and flows, 
but to acknowledge that to the world, <laughs> whether it's on this platform or in anything else that I'm doing, or even in my conversations one-on-one with, with people that I encounter in my life. And while that sounds maybe kind of obvious or maybe kind of, you know, maybe a little flat-footed, uh, I can't, the reason why that's so important is because that is not historically how I have conducted myself. As I found out last week, as I submitted all my certification materials and was nervous beyond belief about getting all that done and getting it all in and sitting and waiting, as I saw last week, perfectionism, people-pleasing, and wanting to look like I have everything all together all the time is something that is easy for me to fall into and to want to put forward. I hear from people a lot, as I mentioned earlier, wow, you speak so seemingly off the cuff so well, or you're good on your feet. I guess it's true, but it's not really true in terms of myself if what I'm doing in those moments is painting the picture that I want you to see or that I think I need to put forward in order to be received well or to be approved of. And that, that stuff goes all the way back to the childhood right, for me and, and well into adulthood. These were things that really drove me forward. And I wasn't fully aware of them really only until about the last dozen years or so of my life. And it's taken a lot of untangling and a lot of sometimes very difficult moments, difficult conversations, uh, failures for me to see those and then start to learn from them, build on them, and discover more of who's behind all that facade. Because, of course, when I'm doing that, and this is something that happens to all of us, when we put all that forward that aren't truthful about ourselves, we obscure that truth, not just from the people that are outside of us externally, but internally, who we are. And so this process of all these different pieces coming together, and this show being one part of them, but one of the main expressions of all of it together, is... That kind of BS, that kind of stuff, putting it forward, doesn't really do anything constructive. And that part for me is important to admit and also difficult. And the reason I can tell you it's difficult for me to admit right now, because even as I'm talking about that, I can feel tingling in my hands, <laughs> tingling my feet. I can feel like the temperature's gone up a couple of degrees in here. Uh, vulnerability is not always easy for me. Uh, and maybe it isn't easy for anybody. But at the same time, it's something that I'm intentionally trying to do more of. And, you know, the funny thing is, the irony is, in this coaching certification I, I've done, it, it's been classes. It's also been um, working with clients, you know, to build hours and to practice and, and all those things. And one of the fundamental bedrock principles in order to coach people in their life is to help them see that imperfections and mistakes are not catastrophic, that they're normal that they're a part of everyday life. Airway science for kids, a key part of what they do is helping kids recognize that in aerospace, you are going to make mistakes. Things have to be tested. They have to fail in order for you to find successful designs, successful missions, that type of thing. It is all over. That messaging is all over every avenue of my life. And yet with all of that knowledge, with all that experience, with all that I was doing towards certification and all the growth that it's, it's given me in my own life, there I was last week, up to my eyeballs in those old coping mechanisms of perfectionism and uh, people-pleasing, what-ifs, 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 trying to control outcomes about these things, but also wanting them to happen in a way where I felt not vulnerable, where I hopefully would look good uh, coming out of them to myself and to others. 
and it was ruining the experience. <laughs> what should have been a really exciting series of moments, me finishing this multi-week program, almost a year's worth, I was caught up in anxiety and stress and uncertainty. And it was affecting my mood. It was affecting my sleep. It was affecting a lot of things. And I wasn't letting really anybody see that very much. Because I felt embarrassed by it. I was doing the shoulds, right? I should know better. I, you know, irony of ironies, right? Uh, Coach, heal thyself. (laughs) All those things were going through my mind. But I simply could not seem to slow them down. And it took some help. Uh, Tawny Santabria, who I mentioned earlier, uh, as well as a couple of close friends of mine, held up mirrors for me, if you will, for me to see those things. And it could be tough. A couple of those conversations were actually uh, were good to hear, but difficult in the moment because I was embarrassed. You know, and then I asked myself that, well, if you're imperfect and nobody's expecting you to be perfect and you're just growing like anybody else, why be embarrassed? And that showed me all those things together, how far I had drifted, at least on this subject, into that area of so vulnerable that it was uncomfortable and I didn't want to be uncomfortable anymore. And it really wasn't doing anything good for me at all. Once I was able to see that, being willing to look at that, uh, things began to improve. It was about midweek last week where where the, the shift began. And I began looking back at my previous few weeks uh, and the stories I had been telling myself and uh, really not being as connected with myself as I know is best for me uh, and as honest with myself as I know is best for me and really hadn't been as engaged in all the things in my life, all the various pieces in my life uh, to the degree that I know I have been before and that I want to be. And so it really became an exercise in the latter part of the week in reconnecting with all of those things, letting up up on myself a little bit more, Uh, noticing when those stories of perfectionism uh, and the impulses of, of, of that were popping up and being really, really honest with myself when they did. And then from that point of rigorous honesty, not allowing them to push me into distractions that were going to deviate me from that. And then also not to beat myself up for being in that position. All of this process that I talked about today has been growing and learning, getting better at it, bringing in new things, trying things out. Some of them work, some of them don't. That has been my journey the last few years. And frankly, it's been my journey my whole life. I've just only recently, (laughs) in the last handful of years, become better at actually admitting that and embracing that. And so when I talk about where I'm at today, I've got a lot of gratitude, not just for all the things I've laid out today, but even for those moments like last week where I was in retrospect, very disconnected from myself, really relying upon facades or even just kind of distance in inside of me from other people to kind of maintain that illusion that all was well. And I'm grateful that I can see that I was doing that and that I can look and go, man, look at what that caused me. Alienation from myself, discontent, loneliness, even though there were lots of people around, <laughs> lots of people uh, connected to me or wanting to know how things were going. I was lonely in the midst of all of that. And, 
And I wasn't taking good care of myself as much as I could be and as much as I have. And then when I decided to talk about it and share that all of this was backing up on me, grateful for the people who consistently on a regular basis, and you all know who you are out there. There's a handful of you, uh, showed up, showed me that without any incrimination with nothing but love and support in their words and in that support. And it helped me get myself a little bit more squared away and reconnected with the things that really matter. And so I tightened things up. I went back to things recently that had worked for me before. I decided to be coachable (laughs) and teachable once again. And I rested. I connected with people again. I, I had an opportunity over uh, the past handful of days to, to go places and be with people and a visit with them, with friends. And it was incredibly rewarding to do that and connective. I made calls to some friends that I haven't talked to in a while. Didn't connect with all of them, uh, but at least made the attempt to do so. And uh, it's such an important part for me of my own growth to be out there connecting, being honest with people about where I'm at at any given moment, listening to where they're at, and over that genuine connection, allowing that moment to be one that is fulfilling and feeding, nourishing, and provides all those things that we're all looking for in pretty much every area of our life. We can have them in any given moment if we can be present with ourselves and accepting of whatever's happening in front of us. Unless there's some big emergency that's actually happening. Most of the time we have access to that. And there's, there's a lot of hope in that for me. And it's something that as this show is all about you continues to grow and continues to go into episode 101 and beyond that I know will continue to reflect that growth as new things happen. And at some point the certification will come in. I don't know if I, got everything in and passed it successfully. If I don't, I get opportunities to, to uh, continue to do that. And if worst case scenario, that's what I'll do. Uh, Because I want it bad enough. I want to do that bad enough. And as a very wise person said to me last week, a lot of times when we stop, you know, when we stop having achieving going on, it's because we stopped working for it. So that's on me if I choose to do that. And so, you know, the waiting isn't fun. Um, much like a watched pot never boils, a watched inbox never brings you the email you're looking for. <laughs> so that's, that's a JDism for the day. Don't watch your inbox. If you're expecting something, just let it show up. But nevertheless, with all of those things, the next steps really have to emerge in front of us. If things seem foggy, I've learned, uh, you either have to just take a step in faith and make the step a little smaller to keep moving forward Wait for the fog to clear. Um, ask if there's anybody around you who can see better than you. <laughs> you know? And then sometimes you don't move. Sometimes you rest. Sometimes you take it easy. Sometimes you got to reconnect with ourselves. It could be the very best thing we need to move forward. And so all those things taken together, uh, an awareness of that and appreciation of that uh, is where I am at today as I reflect on this 100th episode of this show is all about you. It has been, um, it's been the outlet through which I think, even if I haven't been talking about all these things directly, the effects of them have come out the most. 
uh, in this show as well as in uh, this in breaking up with our BS, my conversation podcast with uh, Tony Santabria. So anybody who listens to both of those, you've whether you've known it or not, you've been along for the ride in all of that, and uh, maybe reflecting on this episode, if you go back and listen to others, you might be able to hear moments uh, that I've referred to in this kind of exemplified in, in some of those episodes as I've tried some things out, some things have worked, some haven't. Um, and even just in the content and how I talk about things. I feel like this is an avenue for me to not just chart what I've said over 100 episodes and beyond, but how I've grown. In some ways, it's just as much a story about me as breaking up with, or not breaking up with RBS certainly, but building from the bullet hole, my first podcast, as well as the book I wrote. Perhaps it, that's inevitable for all of us, that all the things we do are really the story about us, really all ha- come back to that, who we are, how we do things, where are we going, what does it mean for us to be who we are, and what role do we have to play for ourselves and for the others around us in the larger world. And I'm really excited that I've had the opportunity to use all of these mediums, particularly this show, to put all that out there. And I thank all of you for coming along with me on the ride for 100 episodes, and I look forward to hopefully at least 100 more. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. This show is all about you. Remember, you can get this as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out wordsbyjdk.com or find me on social media to find more content and reach out to me directly. I got a lot of thank yous. I don't have time for all of them today, so I'm going to keep it general. But however, this show is all about you. It's produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Eric Ryder is my in-studio producer, editor, mix master. Thank you, Eric. Show is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. Check them out at airside.org. The original theme music is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. Special thanks to contributing to this episode and all that went well for me this week goes to Julia Cannell, Tony and Dave Santabria, Bruce Bullard, Stacey Heller, Raj Prabhu, Phil McCoy, Serena Harris, Emily McFetrich, Seth Moorman, Ken and Margaret Winnikin, Ann Foster, Bruce Palmer, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. Special thanks to everyone who has helped and supported me to 100 episodes and in all the other component parts of my life that I talked about today. There are many of you, but each of you is singular in importance to me and in my gratitude for you. And to you listeners, thank you. I couldn't do this for you without you. And to send you off into the week, let's end with this original haiku. How we choose to go to new places matters as much as why we go. Chins up, everyone.